Welcome to the Rhythm of Us podcast. We're your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. This past year, we released a book we've been pouring our hearts and souls into for quite some time, and it's called The Rhythm of Us. And it's available now wherever you get your books. Throughout this season, we'll be exploring the five rhythms from our book, as well as sitting with and learning from wise leaders, mentors, and friends in our life about the intentional rhythms that can lead us closer to God and closer to each other. Hey there, and welcome back. Uh, we hope you're having an amazing week. We are getting closer and closer to spring. Hallelujah. Right? One hot day, <laughs> one cold day, some rain, all, all right, the things. I'll take it. Yeah. We've been in a series over the last few weeks unpacking the five rhythms for a thriving marriage from our book, The Rhythm of Us. It's been so good to have so many of you joining us on this journey, and we've absolutely loved hearing from you and how these rhythms are impacting your lives and ultimately your marriages, because that's truly what it's all about. When you grab a book and go through the rhythms, we would love to hear how it's going for you. You can find us at therhythmofus.com, social media, wherever you are, but we would love to hear from you. So today, we are so thrilled to welcome our new friend, Enneagram expert and best-selling author, Ian Cron, to the show. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Ian is an Episcopal priest, a trained psychologist, and an author of some of the most helpful books you can find on the Enneagram, including the bestseller, The Road Back to You. If you're looking for a good place to begin learning about the Enneagram, this one is always a great place to start. Yeah, Ian was my teacher. Yeah. <laughs> he was the one that I, I read his book and he really- made it really accessible through that book. Yeah, yeah, so good. So today we're talking about Ian's latest book called The Story of You, using Enneagram wisdom to rewrite those broken stories that we tell ourselves about who we are. The journey for me was realizing I don't have to stay in this story. I have the agency, the freedom, and the power to rewrite a, a more life-giving story that is more continuous uh, and in harmony with the gospel. This interview was so rich, definitely one I will be listening to over and over and over again. There's this incredible four-step process that Ian outlines for us today that would be so helpful to go through with your spouse or someone you love and trust to really examine the story you're living in to see how it lines up with the truth and rewrite a newer, truer story of who you really are. It is so, so rich, so powerful. Cannot wait to dive in today. So with that being said, let's jump into this amazing episode. Here's Ian. Here we are. Look at us. It's the rhythm of us, Ian. We did rhythm it. Rhythm of us. I love it. I love it. I feel like I need to put a beanie on with you guys in your matching yeah. beanies. But well, do you want us to wait? <laughs> All right, Ian. Well, welcome to the rhythm of us, my friend. We had a blast on the podcast, on your podcast. It was so much fun, but we're glad to have you here with us. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we got a lot of ground to cover. So you've written this brand new book and the story of you, and I can't wait to dive into that, but you know, you're the Enneagram ninja sensei <laughs> guru. I don't, you know, I don't know what the title is officially that we want to give you here. I'll let you decide that. But for those listening who maybe have lived under a rock the last five, 10 years, or maybe their whole life and have no clue what the Enneagram is. Could you give a little bit of context, high-level overview of what that actually is before we dive in deeper to the project you've been a part of? Great. So the Enneagram is this wonderful ancient personality typing system, and it teaches that there are nine basic personality types in the world, one of which we gravitate toward and adopt in childhood as a, a way to cope, to feel safe, 
to protect ourselves and to navigate the new world of relationships uh, in which we find ourselves. And each of these personality types tells a story. It tells a story about who they are and how they think the world works. And as we get into conversation, one of the things we're gonna learn is, though that, that story helped us as little kids, it now hurts us as adults. It's a broken story. How do we know that? Because the story of each of the nine types is in fundamental opposition to the story of God. Well, I'm excited to dive in more of what you're talking about um, with each of our stories, but how did you discover the Enneagram? How did it come into your life? Yeah, so I was in graduate school um, and I was pursuing a, a master's in counseling psychology to become a psychotherapist. I had completed my first year I went on retreat uh, to a Catholic monastery in the, the mountains of Colorado. And while in their library, I happened upon a book called The Enneagram. And I didn't have a lot of reading materials with me. So I said, well, that sounds fascinating. So I pulled it down and I was immediately just gripped by what I read. I was like, man, I've been studying personality theory and personality development among other things for the last year. All of that is wonderful, but where on earth has this been? You know what I mean? I've been, <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, this is incredibly accessible. It's uncannily accurate and it's immediately helpful. That is not to say that having clinical knowledge isn't really, really important. It's simply to say that for a layperson, like this is so accessible and it feathers so beautifully with the gospel. So, mm -hmm. you know, that, that was the beginning of that journey. And that was 1994. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. And so, you know, 1994, you start learning and dedicating yourself to it. It's got to be wild to now look up and go, this thing that you've been a part of for so long has taken this mainstream, you know, for you, what, 20 plus years in the making, you know, and now it's like, oh, everyone wants to talk about this thing I've been focusing on. That's got to be kind of a wild ride for you. You know, it, it has been a wonderful, surprising ride that has just kind of blown my mind. You know, uh, I remember, I see that you have a sign behind you that says Franklin, Tennessee on it. So I was, on the, I was under some pressure from my literary agent to write another book. I had no idea what I should write about. I was at a stop sign on the corner of Fifth Avenue and South Margin in downtown Franklin. And I literally went, wait a minute. <laughs> I went, geez, nobody has written a book about the Enneagram from a Christian perspective for like 30 years. Yes. And, and people were talking about it. I mean, it's not like I didn't hear about it from people. Mm -hmm. And I right. was like, ooh, that's a big hole in the line. And uh, mm -hmm. I just said, wow, it just feels like that's that's something I should do. Little did I know that the book would sell like, you know, over well over a million copies. And I'm like, you know, you just get up in the morning sometimes and you go, okay, let me get this straight. Today, I make my living answering really interesting questions, thinking about what the inner architecture of people is all about. And it helps people. And mm -hmm. I make a living at it. It's like, I just sort of pinch myself and go, wow, I have a lot to be grateful for. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah, I love it. Well, with that being said, part of your living is writing these spectacular books. And so let's dive into the story of you. You, you kind of teased it there a little bit about, you know, how the Enneagram affects us, where it kind of is birthed out of. But uh, give us a deeper dive and unpack uh, the concept of this project and, and how everybody can understand it. 
So the Enneagram does teach us that there are nine personality types. And my approach to the Enneagram, uh, in addition to that, is realizing that each of those types tells a story about who they are and how they think the world works. You know, as little kids, all of us begin unconsciously crafting a story about who we are, right? And that story is based on, you know, sometimes not so great internalized messages, you know, false beliefs about who we are. And, but it also, in a weird way, helps us because it just helps us make sense of life. And we need that in order to feel safe in the world, right? Now, that story helps us get our needs met in childhood, but it hurts us in adulthood if we continue to live in it. And so, you know, like the broken story of the seven is based on this idea that in order to feel safe and secure in the world and to avoid distressing emotional feelings and thoughts and circumstances, I have to live in such a future-oriented stance. I, I really have to avoid those experiences because I fundamentally fear that there won't be anyone there to support me, you know? And so I'm going to kind of create Neverland in my head. <laughs> and that's where, I, that's where I'm going to live, right? Now, that helped you as a little kid survive. Like that was a great survival story, but it's not a thriving story. You know what I'm saying? It's, and sure. here's the deal. Where in the gospel does it say that you are responsible for creating your own safety and security? Well, where in the gospel does it say that you, you have to live in a future and, and you have to take care of your own needs, like that there's no one else that, here that's going to support you? It doesn't say that anywhere. In right. fact, that's in opposition to what it says. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so in the rewriting of your life narrative, it's like, okay, I got to, I got to leave that story behind and I got to embrace, rewrite a new story in cooperation with God's spirit and, and live into a new powerful narrative. Because at the end of the day, all transformation in this life begins with story transformation. We have to change the story that we live in. And uh, so that's the journey of the book is to say, okay, here's the premise. Here are the nine stories that people tell themselves, and here's how you can rewrite them. That's that's the basic premise of the book. That's a beautiful story. I love that. And I, I know it's come from a personal place as well for you. Can you give us some examples of what this has looked like for you in your life, the story that you received as a child, and then how you know you really started to rewrite that into a more a truer story of who you are? Yeah. So I'm an Enneagram for the individualist, I mean the romantic sometimes called the individualist. And the story I picked up as a little person was that there was growing up, by the way, in a home with a father who was an alcoholic and drug addict who eventually died from that disease. Um, the, the message I picked up as a sensitive little kid was there's something wrong with you. There's something in your essential makeup that doesn't make sense, that it's unnameable, right? Uh, this fatal flaw that you have that no one else seems to have. Um, and you know, it launched me on this quest to find the missing piece because I felt like, okay, if I can find the missing piece, I'll get wholeness. I'll find peace in the world. I can, I can get off the aisle of misfit toys and, you know, come into the world. And uh, now that, that story, though, I mean, it helped me survive, right? It helped me make sense of everything I was experiencing. And the message I got was, you got to be special and unique. 
Like you've got to become this sort of different, special, unique guy in the world. And that's going to help you get your needs met for like esteem and approval and all those things. Now, again, that story helped me as a little kid, but it, it really wreaked havoc in my life by the time I was in my 20s. You know, I became a drug addict. I became an alcoholic. I, you know, I missed out on opportunities. I screwed up a bunch of relationships. I mean, that's what happens when you continue. That's, that's going to happen with all nine stories, right? Maybe not the drug addict, alcoholic thing, though. That could. No, that could be. But really, it's it's like, you know, we get into adulthood and we wonder why why do I keep doing the same things over? Like, think about this, right? Like, why do I do the very things I don't want to do and I don't do the very things I do want to do, right? It's just like, why why is this happening? Well, is it possible because you're stuck in the wrong story? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the journey for me was realizing after doing some work uh, with a therapist who I really and or a sponsor that really helped me was realizing I don't have to stay in this story. I have the agency, the freedom and the power to rewrite a a more life-giving story that is more continuous uh, and in harmony with the gospel. So good. Yeah, it's so good. You know, I often think about, you know, how I've had to fight to learn how to be in the present. And I think you're right as a seven, you know, just kind of always live in the future. And it makes you make some silly decisions when you're trying to you know, constantly go, well, the future, we're going to do this now so that it's going to affect our future. It's like, hold on, hold on, stop, stop. Let's rewrite this story. So let's talk about it. Someone's listening. They're going, okay, I, I got a story I got to rewrite here. Uh, you've done a really great job uh, through this four letter acronym named SOAR. What is SOAR and how does someone unpack that? Great question. So the book kind of is laid out like this, right? Obviously in the first two chapters, I go into depth about how, why it is and how is it that we live inside of narrative stories. And you know, this is true, right? Like, don't you intuitively know when I say to you, you're living in a broken story, like you intuitively know what that means, right? Because we think of our lives narratively, you know, that's why we say things like, oh, I'm turning the page on this relationship or, you know, um, I'm, this is a new chapter in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. That's why we say to cheesy pickup lines like, you know, hey, what's your story? You know, it's like, <laughs> we think this way, right? And so then I go through the nine archetypal stories, these nine basic stories, one of which people tend to gravitate toward and live into, right? People will sometimes object and they'll say things to me like nine stories. There's like 7 billion people on this planet. And I'm like, yeah, well, guess what? In literature, there's only seven basic plots. <laughs> in all of literature and filmmaking, there are seven basic plots. Yeah. The details change, but the plots are the same. And I would say the same thing about these nine stories, right? It's like details change, but if you're in one of these stories, the underlying premise is the same, you know? The details change, but the underlying premises are all, you know, they're different for each type, but they're, you know, if you're in it, it's the same. Then I, I talk about SOAR. So there's a four-stage process. The step one is to see the story. It's really to investigate and understand the story and actually even write down how that story uh, reveals itself in your own life. And we did that on my podcast a little bit, right, Chris? We spoke about your childhood. Jenny, I think we did the same. And in a way, we began to see where did the story of the seven and the one come from, mm-hmm. right? Jenny, you were a one. Am I correct? Correct. What a memory on this guy. Anyway, so. <laughs> so impressive. So, anyway, you know, uh, I want you to really see the story. Like, where did these messages come from? What did you internalize as a little person that made you believe that this is who you were and this is how the world worked? It's really important for people to not just live in the present or the future. You do have to look back, Chris, and see <laughs> where that 
story emerged. And I know you've already done some of that, but we we spoke about ways in your own life where you haven't done that mm -hmm. in, in some respects, right? Mm -hmm. Then we have to own it. And that's the O. You know, we have to own, what does it cost us living in this story? Like I had to go back and, and with great self-compassion, with great self-friendship, to go back and go, just take an inventory and say, well, you know, it cost me a couple of years in my 20s when I was dealing with the pain of that old story, you know, using chemical means. It, it cost me, uh, you know, as a result, some hurt relationships where I as a four in my sort of envious, depressed, sort of self-absorbed way, which is part of the four story, acted out in ways that, that hurt other people, right? Like I just, and part of the reason you do this isn't to beat yourself up. Part of it is just to say, it's to help convince ourselves, do you really want to stay in this story? Like, like you've seen it, you own it. It's like, do you want to keep going? It's like, no, I don't think so. Then, then we have to awaken. And I think that part of the awakening process is kind of coming out of the trance-like quality of the story. Like we get lost in the story and it's like the old fish trope idea, right? It's like, we live in the story so long, we don't know that there's the possibility that it could be any different than what it is. We, we live in a story and we think to ourselves, I'm sort of stuck with this. These are the cars, this is what I do. And, or we just don't even know there is a story that we're living, right? Mm -hmm. We have to wake up, man, we have to see it. And I guess some skills for how you can do that. And then R is the rewrite part. Like what, what's the story that you wanna live in? What are the values that you wanna have aligned with who you are? What are, what are your dreams for your life that the old story won't allow you to chase after and fulfill? And again, these, this involves some writing and some people just want a simple four stage process that they can do like a hack, like in an hour. Well, guess what? You guys know this in the spiritual life. Good luck. There are no hacks. There just are no hacks. Yeah. Right. You got to show up and, and, you know, you have to do the work not to earn God's love or the love of other people, but you have to do some work to realize transformation in your life. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no green pill in the Christian life. There just isn't. Right. Right. And so, the, right. You know, we have to sit down and, and really chart a life. We have to write down what are the beliefs like, like a belief that I grew up in as a four was there's something missing in me. And right now on the screen of my computer, there's a post-it that says nothing's missing because part of the journey of rewriting my story was getting that new belief into my bones and blood. Mm. And here's the really cool thing. And this is, I mean, this is, we can have a theological conversation about what I think of grace, but here's the deal. When you've done the first three steps, guess what begins to happen? When you uproot the premise of the old story and you begin to question it, you begin to look at it and say, who says, who says that's who I am and how the world works? Mm. Not God, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that is not how the, that is not how the world works. And guess what happens? Once you start to clear the debris, it's like, you know, all of a sudden that truest, highest expression of who you are, of who you are just begins to emerge on its own. You really don't have to do a lot. You know, guess what? Grace gets to do it. You know what I mean? You yeah. don't have to tape. You don't have to tape fruit on your trees. Like it just begins to happen on its own. 
That's so beautiful. I love that. And I love that you you made sure to mention that when we look back at our past and maybe some of these beliefs that we've had without realizing it, it's important to start with the lens of compassion. You know, I think mm. as one, I can beat myself up over every mistake. And so sitting down and thinking through all of the mistakes I've made over my lifetime can be a really hard <laughs> exercise if I don't yeah. begin with the lens of compassion. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, that's part of, okay, well, let's rewrite a story. You know, like let's, let's rename this story and get on with something that sounds more like a God story. Hey guys, thanks again for listening. We'll get back to the show in a minute. But real quick, just wanted to remind you to order a copy or two or three of my parents' new book, The Rhythm of Us, from your favorite retailer. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, so talk about, you know, you've had many people walk through this journey of SOAR with you. What are some of the stories, what do they look like on the other side of finding new truth um, to cling to and build a better story on? You know, I've seen this so many times. So I have a, a person who was a two on the Enneagram. They're called the helpers. The underlying premise, the broken story premise there is that I have to meet the needs of other people in order to be loved, you know, in order to be approved of. And I, I'm not allowed to have my own needs. In fact, I have to disavow them and never share them with other people because they'll reject me or I'll feel humiliated if they don't want to meet them. And I could go on and on here, right? Well, yeah. where does it say in the gospel that in order to find the love of God and the love of other people, you have to meet the needs of others, that it's conditional on that? We know that that's not true. That's a lie. That's a broken story. Now, it helps you get your needs met as a little person if you're two, but in adulthood, you become codependent. You can become manipulative. You can become someone who strategically gives in order to get from other people, etc. right? So I had a a person I was walking through this journey with, and they were a two, and they named their early life story. And the name of that early life story was The Silent Servant. Mm -hmm. The Silent Servant. And this woman was like, I just had this, she grew up in a very, very conservative home, you know, Christian home. And she was like, you know, I was, I just adopted this story that I could never tell people what I needed. I just had to meet, I had to serve everybody. And that was labeled being a good Christian, which in a way, I mean, we all know that selfless giving is a good thing, right? But we also know that that can go too far, mm -hmm. right? That can go way too far. And, you know, they went on this journey of seeing it, owning it, awakening to it, and then saying, you know, I want to be somebody in my life who continues to help other people, but doesn't need to. I want to be available to help people, but I don't have to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I'm not a prisoner good. of that old story. Yeah. And I've done that with all nine Enneagram types. And uh, in the book, in fact, there's a great example. Of, there's a, a known, a pretty well-known Christian artist named Ryan Stevenson. And he talks about being an Enneagram four, how it made sense of it for him and of the world as a kid but how it made him so miserable as an adult. And we went through this process of renaming his story and outlining, okay, well, what's it look like? Let's, let's talk about what it is and then how we live into it. As a dad of five kids, 
I'm starting to go, okay. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. What are the what's this kid? What's the story writing? this yeah. kid's writing right yeah. now that they can get it to all that? But but that is for a different podcast. And there are husbands and wives, spouses out there listening to this, going, okay. I'm trying to rewrite my story. I think my spouse is, hopefully they're trying to rewrite their story in a positive way. But how does this play out? Because it's a very individualistic thing, right? But obviously two or one, you're sitting there next to this person. A lot of your, your life is tied and tethered to them. How do you help someone unpack that as a couple? Well, I mean, you kind of alluded to it right there. I, this is a wonderful journey for a couple to go on together. Like, this is a wonderful journey to say, you know, here's the story I grew up in. This is what I was taught to believe. I, and it's not blaming your parents, because guess what? It's not just your parents. It's your coaches. It's your teachers. It's your culture. It could be your church. It could, be, you know what I'm saying? Like, churches mm -hmm. ain't perfect. We know that. They can pour some pretty weird messages, untrue messages into your brain, right? Am I right about that? I mean, I, yes. I, I've met enough people who've had, yeah, I mean, I've met enough people who've experienced spiritual abuse to know that's true. So, you know, to go on the journey together of seeing, owning, awakening, and rewriting, and then mutually encouraging each other to live in a new story. Like, you know, let's, Jenny, let's just say your, your old story was, uh, and I, this is actually from the book, right? Um, there's a, a woman in the book, because each, each chapter really has a number of stories to illustrate the journey. And, uh, you know, she eventually got to this place where she, she's a one improver on the Enneagram, struggles deeply with perfectionism. And she said, you know what? My new story is titled Progress, Not Perfection. I want to make progress not be perfect. And it was so freeing for her. Her husband is a two. I actually was just on his podcast. He's a brilliant therapist named Michael Cusick. And Michael's journey was, you know, really toward learning about being loved for who he is, not for what he can do for other people. Right. And so for the two of them to go on that journey together and then have language to talk about the journey of transformation through the lens of the Enneagram and narrative, it's rich, man. It is really rich. You know, I have a couple I worked with and they put the names of their new story uh, on their refrigerator. Oh, and it was sweet. just, you know, and so they could, you know, they could even say to each other sometimes when they saw the other sort of not doing great, say, what story are you in right now? Yeah. You know what I'm oh, saying? Like, good. what story? Yeah. What story are you living right now? Because it doesn't sound true. But now they have a language to talk about it. It's pretty great. I it's love like, that. hey, go to the fridge and read your story <laughs> right now. Yeah. So the illustration I would use for couples would be this: it's a picture for marriage. It's like having two candles, two separate candles, but the flame is united, right? Mm -hmm. So you take two, you take two candles, and you merge the flame, and you get one flame, right? Yeah. But it's two, it's still two separate candles. Yeah. Right. So the, the, the great paradox in relationships is the more individuated individual, you know what I'm saying? Like the more I am me separate from my wife or husband, the closer we can become, mm -hmm. it, it's just, but it's just true. Right. Yeah. Uh, when you see couples that get enmeshed with each other and it's like this kind of it gets, it can become really unhealthy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you need someone separate from you who has chosen to accompany you on the journey of life. And the more you can 
stay differentiated from each other, mm-hmm. living lives separate from each other. Like you have a job, I have a job. We bring we bring these experiences back home, but we're not like this uh, kind of like mushy ball. That's yeah. I hope that makes sense. It does. Yeah. How long have you guys been married? 33 years. 33. That's amazing. Good job. That was quick. Yeah. That was quick. You did it. <laughs> he knew. Yeah, he's he knew how long. Line. Yeah. <laughs> how have you supported your wife as she walks through the journey of finding a new narrative in her own life? Great question. And it has been really exciting. Mm. Really, really exciting. So we've had some experiences uh, with members of our family. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm in recovery. I have uh, another member of my family who in recent years has had to move into recovery. As a result, my wife actually became really involved in what's called Al-Anon. Do you guys know about Al-Anon? Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. It's so if, if you're married to an addict or an alcoholic or you're the mom or the dad of one, it's a place to go and really get support. My mm-hmm. wife, is like a ninja Al-Anon member, right? She she is like, she's unbelievable. And she's a nine. And so she spent a lot of years really merged with me, which is typical of nines. There's old broken story, you know, partly is, I don't really matter, but I, if I merge with somebody else, then I can kind of ride on their coattails a little bit and like just kind of get through life without having to be my own person. I'm telling you, my wife has become her own person. Like she has, she has found her voice and she has got boundaries now. She's got, I mean, she has written a new story for her life and we talk about it all the time, but she did have to go through this process of seeing where did this come from? Like, how did I end up this Enneagram nine who was like, had to have peace at all costs, had to like avoid conflict, but you know, she can see it now and she had to own like, what did it cost me? A lot. And she could enumerate that. How does she awaken? And just the whole journey of my life with her and this other person in her life, you know what happened to her is like when we ran into this crisis, like, you know, she's known me forever in recovery, but when we ran into this new crisis, she realized my story stinks. (laughs) Like the story I am living in crisis has a funny way of making you wake up and realize my story stinks. Mm. And if I don't get a new one, I am just going to keep making, I'm just going to die in a, you know, I'm a, I'm in a children's book, essentially. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I don't want to mm-hmm. live in a children's story anymore. I want to live in an adult story. So, and we've been able to, like, I tell her all the time, like, it's amazing. Like the story you live in now is so different from the old one. And it's so much more aligned with who, who, who I think you are, your true self. It's beautiful. That's awesome. That's so beautiful. So good. Well, as always, I mean, thank you for the work you do. And, you know, obviously another book that's a message that was on your heart that's going to help so many people. So before we wrap, though, we love, as you know, it's the rhythm of us. We get to share a little bit about our book on your show. We love to kind of ask our guests, you know, unpack the five rhythms and kind of first say, you know, where's, where's an area that's kind of easiest and you're thriving in your marriage and that rhythm? And what does that look like? And then maybe what's an area that, that you're, you're working on and how that flushes out in your life. So the first one is easiest. And the five rhythms are speaking life, slowing down, serving, seeking adventure, and staying in awe. Hmm. Can I give two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two that you're, you're doing great two at. Two that you're doing good at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, seeking adventure and uh, staying in awe 
I think those two are really, really good for us. I mean, we're always asking the question, okay, what's the new dream? Mm. Like, what's the new dream for our future? Uh, we're, we're always asking um, even the practical adventures, like where are we traveling this year? Like, where are we going? Like, you know, where, where, what new risks are we going to take? You know? And then uh, I think staying in awe. I mean, I think the, the two of us, I think the older we get, actually the more in awe of life and the spiritual journey just grips us, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I'm sort of naturally bent as a four on the Enneagram, you know, when I'm in a healthy space, I mean, I'm, I'm into art, I'm into music, I'm into writing. I'm so there's always this, I mean, the, you know, all kinds of, I have all kinds of interests, but just being in awe of, oh my gosh, this world is just brimming with God's presence. And I just want to be awake and available to seeing it and enjoying it at every, at every turn possible. Mm, I love that. You described it so perfectly. Okay. Which one is one that maybe doesn't come as naturally to you guys and that you have to put a little bit more effort to work on? Uh, speaking life. You know, my wife and I are both kind of withdrawing types, you know, <laughs> uh, like I'm sort of, you know, and, and honestly, I can, I'm sort of introverted and it doesn't, I have to really, it doesn't really seem that way when people are talking with me because I'm really talkative and I'm, you know, I'm sort of animated, but actually my attention is often inwardly focused on my own inner, inner experience, which isn't to say I'm necessarily self-absorbed. It just means that that's just more my bent. Other types tend to be more externally focused. Chris, you would be more externally focused than I would be. Um, and part of your journey is to learn how to be more inwardly focused. Part of my journey is to learn how to be more outwardly focused. And that's where I think there's that, that sort of speaking life would be. I wish, I wish it came easier to me. I mm. have to burn calories for it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I get that. I'm the same, same way that I have to work really hard at it. Yeah. It's funny because that's one of my favorites, speaking yeah. life. As he doesn't have to work hard at that. Right. Quickly diagnose. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And the last question is, uh, what advice would you give to the younger you, yourself, or your spouse on your wedding day, if you're standing in front of you guys? I just, the first thing that comes to my mind is this, do you know Frederick Buechner? Have you guys read Frederick Buechner? Yes. So Buechner has this great quote. He goes, this is life. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Mm, yeah. That actually moves me right now. This is life. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. That's amazing. Would you have listened that day? <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'd been sober, maybe. But I think, uh, uh, no, I think I wouldn't have understood the gravity of that right. yet. Of course. You know, I just I wouldn't know about the beautiful and terrible. You know, everything was a bright, rosy colored future. I, I didn't really realize that it was going to have a lot of bumps, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true of most of us on yeah. the wedding day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> clueless. Yes. So, well, man, we love your work. We love your podcast, all that you do. Where can people find you, follow you, look you up, all, all that good stuff? Yeah, thank you. So the new book, The Story of You, uh, can be found on Amazon. You go to Barnes & Noble. You can go to any store. Uh, you can actually pick it up at Hudson News when you're walking through the airport. That would be nice. You can um, obviously go to my website, Ian Morgan Cron, I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N-C-R-O-N.com, and learn about my other books, uh, learn about courses, learn about my Enneagram assessment, the IEQ-9, 
You can listen to my podcast, Typology, uh, and uh, uh, it's at Ian Morgan Cron across all my socials. Great. We'll link to all of that in the show notes so people know exactly how to find you and spell your name and all the good stuff. But thank you so much. This was such an honor to have you on today. Uh, this was really fun. I love talking to you guys. It's, it's really great. Thanks, Ian. All right. What an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Rhythm of Us. Yep, you can find all the resources and links mentioned in today's episode over at our website, therhythmofus.com. We hope you'll check those out as well as our brand new book, The Rhythm of Us, which is available to order right now wherever you get your books. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, God bless.